Hey everybody, Jason from the future here. Just want to make a couple quick comments before you listen to the episode. I made a couple hasty comments, reference real life performance evaluations and employees talking with salary, things like that. It, I don't want you to infer my comments to mean I don't think employees should be allowed to talk about salary or I don't think they should be allowed to talk about bonuses or that I think management should try to have policies that prohibit that or any other policies that would violate federal law in the United States. So at no point am I saying those things should be illegal. And performance evaluations in the real world at your job do have an important purpose. And we're going to talk more about that in episode 316 next Wednesday on February 16th. But with those quick um, afterthoughts out of the way, Let's get into the episode. Under strengths, you've just put accounts. Yeah. That's your job, though. That's just... That's just... Mm. No, Keith. I was sort of looking for your skills within your job. So is there anything else you could have put there? No. Okay. Um... Under weaknesses, you've put eczema. Well, pockets up a beer or a cold libation, I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. With the other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today, we have the long-awaited episode where people give their feedback on Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition's performance evaluation for leveling up. There are actually strong opinions here. Who would have thought? In addition, I'm going to announce my February contest. In fact, let's do that now. You have until the 28th of February, midnight Eastern time, that's New York time, boys and girls, to send me in your three favorite role-playing games. There's no other qualifications in that. We're going to do a top three list. I want to know everybody's top three RPGs. I am doing this because I've been listening to the Grognard file. Well, I've listened to the Grognard files since it came out. That was, I think, maybe the first role-playing game podcast I listened to when I got back into the hobby. But they're doing their first, last, and everything. I'm not quite doing that. Although, who knows, maybe if I really like the three that you list, I'll reach out to you and get you to come on the show and talk about them. But right now, I'm just looking for your top three RPGs. If you want to explain a little bit why they're your top three, definitely do that. I will play all the calls, all the contestants' calls. Uh, try to keep it within a minute or two, though, you, you know, to keep it manageable. And if we want to talk about it separately from the contest, we can definitely do that. So all you have to do is leave me a message. You can do it on Anchor. 
You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach a sound clip, I can play that on the air. If you don't want people to hear your voice, you can just send an email to that address, or you can send me a message on Discord. Let me know your favorite three RPGs, and you know maybe a little bit on why they're your favorite three. Send me that by midnight on the 28th of February, 2022, and that's midnight Eastern Time, New York Time. And I will pick a winner randomly out of all the contestants. I'll throw all your names in a hat, pick one name out randomly. They will get a $20 drive-thru RPG gift card, good anywhere in the world. And I will also donate $20 to the charity of their choice. So you can't lose here, folks. Even if you don't believe in PDFs, you can donate $40 to the charity of your choice. So they're, they're really... By not entering the contest, you're hurting your favorite charity. So send me those entries. Okay, that said, let's get into this whole thing about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition and the performance ratings. If you're following along at home, this is on page 86 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So I will read here what we have. And this is the first column, page 86. It's under Gaining Experience Levels. So, second paragraph under that heading. Consider the natural functions of each class of character. Consider also the professed alignment of each character. Briefly assess the performance of each character after an adventure. Did he or she perform basically in the character of his or her class? Were his or her actions in keeping with his or her professed alignment? Mentally classify the overall performance as, and you can pick, Excellent, superior, fair, or poor. And then it gives some examples. Clerics who refuse to help and heal or do not remain faithful to their deity. Fighters who hang back from combat or attempt to steal or fail to boldly lead. Magic users who seek to engage in melee or ignore magic items they can employ in critical situations. Thieves who boldly engage in frontal attacks or refrain from the acquisition of an extra bit of treasure when the opportunity presents itself. Cautious characters who do not pull their own weight. These are all clear examples of a poor rating. And then it goes on to talk about how we're going to use this rating. So you're going to award their experience points normally. When each character is given his or her total, also give them an alphabetic rating, as I discussed earlier, E, S, F, or P. When the character's total experience points indicate eligibility for advancement level, use the alphabetic assessment to assign equal weight to the behavior of the character during each separate adventure, regardless of how many or how few experience points were gained in each. The resulting total is then divided by the number of entries, adventures, to come up with some number from 1 to 4. This number indicates the number of weeks a character must spend in study and or training before he or she actually gains the benefits of the new level. Be certain all decimals are retained as each .145 equals a game day. And each of those, so if you're excellent, it's you're, you're using the number one, superior two, fair three, and poor four. So the, the less well you played your character in the West... And the worse your performance evaluation goes, the longer it takes you to train and study up, which means the more money it costs you to train and study up. Yeah. And it goes on and gives more examples, but you guys can check page 86 of DMG to see your own 
you on your own. So, as I say, many people have opinions on this. So I'm going to play the calls. I might comment a little bit during the calls. And then, of course, I'll give my opinions at the very end after the calls. So without further ado, let's get to those calls. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey Jason, this is Rob, uh, also known as Minion of uh, Confessions of Eutimus Bushi. I just got to, or just listened to your episode regarding the uh, appraisals, performance uh, evaluations or whatever they are in first edition AD&D. And I've got to say, I've never used them. Um, I, I do use the training and training times. Uh, and I like the way that uh, the players have to be you know, really careful with that money. And they, it also motivates them to go back out and adventure, right? So it's part of the game. It's sort of very much baked into the game. Um, but um, penalizing people for for not playing in a certain uh, fashion that I consider, uh, you know, uh, corresponds appropriately to their class and and uh, so on i don't know um they it's already hard enough to get to second level third level and so on so i don't do it thank you rob i do highly recommend everybody check out all my callers podcasts including rob's confessions with we timmer spushy the links are in the show notes on page 86 i didn't continue to read but it's got how much it costs to level up and that formula is the level the training character times 1500 and that's the weekly cost. So if you're second level trained to be third level, it's going to cost you 3,000 gold pieces. If you're 10th level trained to be 11th level, it's going to cost you 15,000 gold pieces to level up. Um, and then the time it takes is depending on your rating. And you do that formula I discussed before. So if you're first level trained to second level and you were rated as excellent and you ended up with one for, for your score then it's only going to cost you 1,500 gold pieces to level up. If you are rated poorly and you ended up with a 4, then it would cost you 6,000 gold pieces to level up to level 2. I'm assuming in this, how Rob is doing it, he's still charging you time and money, but I'm assuming he's probably given everybody a 1, so it's only that base calculation. I think if I wasn't going to do the rating system, I don't know. I mean, obviously one is the nicest thing to characters, but maybe a two would be the the best. If you weren't really going to rate people, then you give them two, which isn't perfect, but it's still really good. It's superior. Um, minimum deviations, but they do deviate occasionally from the class. And I mean, that penalizes them a little bit. You know, that first, second level costs you 3,000 gold and take two weeks to study. But that might be a, a, a more fair way to do it. I don't know. But let's. The problem here, of course, is people look at it and they think, while well, you're sitting down with a player and you're discussing, well, how do you feel you did as a thief? And you, you know, you had these things, and, and let's discuss this here. Let's go back to your PD. Let's go to your look at your job description and see what your tasks are as a thief. And, and that kind of turns people off, as Joe Richter is going to tell us. 
Yo, dude, so let me throw my hat into this whole ratings discussion, even though I'm not an AD&D dude. So the analogy that the one guy used about it being the ratings being like a performance review at work. Yeah, you know the last feeling I want when I'm playing a role-playing game? To feel like I'm at work. (laughs) That analogy made me dislike the whole idea even more. Because I can't think of a single person no matter how successful or not successful they are in their career, that enjoys getting performance reviews. Even if you get positive performance reviews, I don't know anybody who likes giving them or getting them. In fact, I don't even really know anybody who likes giving them. Uh, Yeah, man. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought as soon as I heard that analogy, I was like, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, man, peace out. I think Joe speaks for a heck of a lot of people in his comments there. But we have another great call coming up. It is Eric of the Omega 3D Chicken Coop podcast. Eric Salzweedle, who is currently running Talisman RPG, the new, well, came out a couple years ago, the Talisman RPG for Joe and myself, and doing a great job at that. In the past, I played in Eric's Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells, I think that's right, game, Diego's game. And Eric is an amazing game master. I, I'm very fortunate that many of, I get to play with all the best game masters and dungeon masters. So I'm very lucky I've been able to play with, with a lot of great ones. And Eric definitely deserves a seat in there. So let's hear what Eric has to say about this whole thing. Hey, Jason, Eric here, calling in to comment on a couple items. I'm not going to go too deep into adversarial play, but I thought there were some interesting points by, made by different folks. And I guess the one piece I'll put in is adversarial to play depends on how the individuals playing the game view it. If the game master and players both view Dungeons and Dragons as winning and losing, which I did see a tweet about that, then yeah, it will come across as adversarial or If the GM is just a total butthead and is trying to screw players over or is upset because their monster got killed, then I have seen adversarial play that way or when one player has beef with another and they take it out on them in the game. That's where I think adversarial play kind of can come from. Um, As far as giving players feedback and then rating them in game and that determining their XP and how much gold they have to spend on leveling up, it's not something that I would do now. Uh, The guy that kind of was my mentor into gaming was a first edition player, and the first book he gave me was Rules Encyclopedia, and this would have been 1991. And then subsequently... We started playing some second edition, but for my early gaming years, we mixed back and forth between Rule Cyclopedia and second edition. And he was very much anti-metagamer. He kind of raised me that way. And so he did secret experience. He would toss a piece of paper at you, and then your XP would be on there. And you would see how much XP you got from monsters in gold. And then there would be a column for how much XP you got for role-playing. And he was adamant against anyone talking about how much XP they got. And I think part of that was he didn't want other people to know that I got 800 XP for role-playing and Billy got 200 XP for role-playing because I don't think he told people or gave them feedback like, hey, your role-playing is not as good as someone else. Now, the problem with that, of course, is 
that's very subjective. And that's my problem with this whole rating system. And first, before we go any farther on this, when I heard um, the young gentleman mention, you know, uh, giving someone a rating is like their work performance rating, it made my skin crawl. It just did. It's not for me. I like to separate my work from my fantasy gaming. And I don't want my fantasy gaming to be a performance appraisal and quarterly updates on performance. I'm a supervisor. I got to do that to my employees. I don't want to do that to my um, players. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't give them feedback. And, and we'll get to that. So the player rating thing, you know, what's to say that I'm playing the thief and you don't think I'm playing my thief correctly. So you decide as the game master that hey, you're playing it wrong. You're not going to get as much XP as everyone else. That's wrong to me. It just is because we all read different fiction. We understand genres differently. Even my friends and I, when we talk about things that we are all really into, whether that's Wheel of Time or Star Wars, we all have different perspectives on it. I mean, even in the mass game you're playing in, I was basing my character more on Spider-Man and the guy storytelling or running the game was like, no, your character's Robin. And we just had a different viewpoint on how my character was in that superhero game. And I think it would have been unfair if he would have punished me experience wise because he thinks my character's Robin and I'm not playing him right in his mind. To me, that's a bit too controlling. Um, there are some exceptions, so I don't think that's always the case. Like, for example, if you're playing a paladin or a priest and the player character is not playing in line with the tenets of their deity, then it would be fair for the game master to implement in-game consequences to that. So if I'm a paladin of good and righteousness and my people are supposed to have my paladins are supposed to help anyone in need and i ignore it because it's too hard of a challenge or there's not enough gold then yeah my deity might have a consequence for me for going against the tenets of our religion and that and that and based on game mechanics that could be an experience penalty right it could be loss of spells it could be you don't gain experience until you atone and maybe that experience piles up and then is given after the fact. So I do think that there's some leeway there, but I, I just think it's unfair to say your fighter wasn't playing super fightery, so I'm taking XP away. Your wizard went in and attacked with a sword, so I'm taking XP away. That doesn't seem fair to me. Now it is fair to give players feedback. And if I'm playing with a group of players and I'm going to be playing with them consistently and I want to play with them more, yeah, of course I'm going to give them feedback. If I think that they're playing maybe not within the tone or within the setting, you know, um, I, this was a while ago, we were playing in a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 game and the Druid character was a, was a friend of mine, new to tabletop gaming, World of Warcraft guy. He was really playing his Druid, basically like a World of Warcraft Druid. And he was like, all he cared about was looting and getting treasure and loot and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the players at the table were the first ones to give him feedback. They said, what are you, a druid of the coin? And then we kind of talked about like, hey, you know, this isn't World of Warcraft where you're just trying to pile up gear and different things. Your character has an archetype and they have, you know, certain tenets and beliefs. And, you know, your character would tend to go down this type of path. Now, how you operate inside that path is up to you. You know, there, like I said, there there are some feedback avenues 
But unless that character is like defiling nature in direct opposition of what their tenants are, I'm not going to penalize them XP wise if they're just maybe they're fighting too much. Unless, of course, they're pacifists, right? I mean, like these are not all absolutes. These are just my ideas. And I just I don't really like that concept. Um, I generally speaking, some of the game mastering tips from old school D and D, I tend to, I've, I feel like I've moved away from those more towards new school D and D style or tabletop style game mastering. Um, I'm definitely a much kinder, gentler game master than I was, um, you know, 30 years ago. Anyway, man, those are my thoughts. Rambled for a while. Hope I don't take up your whole podcast. Peace, Eric. You definitely did not take up the whole podcast i wish you would call more often i'd love to hear your opinions and to be honest you, you know it's interesting you talk about your your first gm and or the, you know your kind of your mentor gm talk about how he didn't want people to talk about their ratings amongst each other and all and when you think about it at work you know that's also how it should be one of the biggest issues we have at work so you, you have at the end of the you have end of the year bonuses where they might get cash or they might get like extra time off, that kind of thing. Right. And when employees talk about what bonuses they get with each other, all it does is cause hate and discontent. And it would be so much, it'd be so much better. (laughs) Damn it. Can't talk. It would be such a better world if people just would not talk about money with other employees. You you know what I mean? It, It just causes issues, but what can you do? As far as that masks game, I think it's interesting that you viewed your character, Kid Ninja, as Spider-Man because your character had a mentor who was a ninja, like Batman is. Your mentor had a secret underground. I don't remember if it was underground, but your character had a secret hideout, like the Batcave. Your character's mentor and your character both were into a lot of technology and had all kinds of cool tech, like Batman. And you kind of were trying to give orders to the other characters in the group, kind of like Robin does in the Teen Titans. So I kind of view, viewed your character as Robin as well in that mask game. I never got a Spider-Man vibe. I, honestly, I always got the Robin vibe too. So so that's interesting. But uh, uh, enough about that. Uh, for the most part, I, I think Eric makes some awesome points and they're they're well worth considering. And really, when you look at this, the the big question is, you know, how much does how much of this do we want to be a hobby, and how much do we want it to be a serious endeavor? Because if we're just around the table, beer and pretzels, and hanging out and playing the game, do we really want to talk about? Oh, you didn't do a good good enough job as a thief this time, right? And there's that. Now, mind you, if somebody's playing a druid and they're not an eco-terrorist, then they're not playing the druid right. I mean, let's be honest. But anyhow, let's move on to the next call. Thank you so much for that call, Eric. I really appreciate it. And we're going to turn the mic over to MW of the Worlds of MW Lewis podcast. He is a longtime AD&D first edition dungeon master who's run numerous games, is currently running two games, and he does not have a problem with the rating system. He likes it, and he's going to talk about its application, and he's also going to talk about some experiences he's had with problem players. 
So I'm going to turn the mic over to him. So another thing Mr. Norton said, he, he confirmed the idea that the rating shouldn't be used as a end-of-adventure gotcha moment. And I don't. I certainly, what, what I meant by collaborative, it's ongoing through the sessions and the adventures. Uh, just like with a job review, I don't bring my employee in at the end of the year and laugh evilly and say all your hopes of a raise are dashed because you screwed up all year long and I never told you. I had this come up in a game. We had a 5e kind of guy come in and he was playing chaotic neutral hobbit thief and uh, quite frankly he was really a wicked wicked character and the, I, the guy didn't understand chaotic and it wasn't just me. Me and the other players tried course correcting him throughout the sessions and I'm going to continue this comment in a second I'm running out of time so getting back to this character the hobbit thief chaotic neutral and by the way uh, I think he really was chaotic good because I think hobbits by rule have to be good and that's an AD&D so I told him we're playing AD&D but there were several times throughout the game where he really said or exhibited like, he really should have been an evil character. And we all tried to stop him from playing this way. Because we all wanted the Hobbit to act like a Hobbit or a halfling. And I even read to all the characters the, the description of the uh, humanoid characters from the DMG. And elves are supposed to be jovial and like dancing. And then the halfling and hobbits are supposed to be good-natured also. And this guy was not playing that way at all. And I'm going to give you some examples and then what we said to him to try to correct him before we even got to the ratings. So I already read the session description of the trial of Half Dan Ragnarsson. And before that trial, the party tried really hard to find the farmers that had um, been rescued by the party on the road. And when they couldn't, they were unsuccessful. The guy playing the Hobbit kept saying, his name was Drogo, Drogo the Hobbit thief, and he kept saying, let's find the judge and slit his throat. Let's find the people who accused Halfdan and slit their throats. It was always like, let's like stealthily kill people. And clearly, all the players were like, no, no. And, and this behavior kept going on and on and on. And we tried correcting his behavior and then his character did die in Rahazia. And then we kind of just took him out of the game. Didn't let him back in the game. He just didn't get it. So I could tell he wasn't going to get it. He made a new character. And he wanted to play this really hippie druid. And he said the druid's mission is going to run around and save the environment from all the de depredations of mankind. And again, I took out the books. The one e-books. I said, hey man, the druid... It's like the old Celtic Druid in Britain, in Brittany, back with the ones Julius Caesar talked about. You know, they're not environmentalists. I said the activities of all humans and humanoids are not bringing about an environmental cataclysm. I said, that's not part of the world. It's not part of my game. I said, please don't play that way. And he said he understood, but then he created the character and when he sent me the description, sure enough, he left that in the description and I just asked him not to play. And that was it. So we dropped that player and I told him he probably should just play 5e. 
which is chock full of modern concerns. All kinds of openness and acceptance. He didn't really like that. Not everybody didn't like hobbits. He took a lot of umbrage to that. And I showed him in the player's handbook. It's part of the game. This isn't 5e. Uh, certain characters don't like certain kinds of other characters. It's like, deal with it. We're just playing a game, man. So he went on. We didn't have him back. And then I had another guy in a game. In my other game. He's the guy who died by the spider, actually. And I kept telling him throughout his first two levels. During play. Not, not waiting till the end with the experience points. I said, you need to start doing more assassiny things. Acting more like an assassin. Use thieve skills or do something. I said, all you do is fight at the front of the line. You're a front, front line fighter. And so I told the guy, you know, I'm saying this throughout the game. I'm not, I didn't wait till the end. And in the first two levels, he, ra- he, uh, he leveled up. I didn't, I didn't rate him badly. But I started talking to him outside of the game saying, you have to, you're making this very unfair. It's actually becoming unfair to the other players who are trying hard to play their character type. And all you do, you walk around saying you're an assassin and you're leveling up quicker than the fighter and the magic user and the cleric. But all you're doing, you're acting like a fighter all the time. You just act like a fighter. And that, that character ended up dying. And then I, I don't play with that guy anymore either. And I mentioned, I might have mentioned, he's one of these DMs. I tried playing in one of his games. And he doesn't really play by any rules. He just uses rules from every gaming system he likes. And I don't like that. And I just, I don't play with him anymore, either as a player or DM him. So that's it, Jason. Bye. So I was kind of kidding a little bit about the Druid being eco-terrorist. That's an in-joke over on the Grog Talk podcast and YouTube channel. But MW called me out here. He's right. In AD&D, they're not really eco-terrorists by the book, let's be honest. But what Druids are by AD&D, by the book, are people that do human sacrifices. So if your AD&D Druid isn't doing human sacrifices, then you're playing them wrong. So remember that. Now, you might think that Daniel and MW are diametrically opposed from each other. But as you're about to hear, that isn't so. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Manscaped. Calling you from the streets of New York City, so hopefully it's not too noisy. But uh, I wanted to say a couple things. Um, so I, I never called back in. I did actually read the section on the training. Honestly, I think the way it was dis- we were discussing it wasn't 100% accurate to the way I read it now. Um, it seems to me that the idea is that if you're playing, let's say, a thief, and you don't do the thief skills during your adventuring, then that means it takes you longer to train. That's what the rating is. But by calling it a rating, that can seem kind of like very judgmental. But the idea is just like, instead of calling it that, you could look more as at how much did you use your skills. If you're a magician and you never cast any spells, then maybe you're not going to take longer to train because you haven't got that in-the-world training. And I think that actually makes sense on a lot of levels and kind of answers that question that I know a lot of people have, which, which is, how come just getting gold levels you up? Well, getting gold doesn't level you up. Training levels you up in AD&D, and you know, how much you actually use your skills in the field make the difference. That being said, I'm still not sure I would use it necessarily in the adult group I play in, unless I framed it the way that Coriolis does, where the whole group answers questions at the end. Did you use your class abilities? Yes. Okay, you got a day. That's basically how I would frame that if I was going to do it. So what we have here is Daniel agreeing that it's a valid system, or at least as presented in the book, the system kind of makes sense. And I agree with that. But 
And so here we have Daniel and M.W. agreeing, singing Kumbaya around the fire. This is great. But Daniel then throws in the twist, the idea that, well, he doesn't want to be the bad guy. He doesn't want to be the guy having to rate each individual. So let's throw it out to the group. And, and that's interesting because psychologically, if you ask each player to rate themselves, hey, just send me a, a message, a private message with what, how well, how much you think you'd used your class skills this session, it'd be interesting to see what people do. But when you ask everybody out together, you, you know, and discuss it in the open, uh, uh, of course, people are kind of, it, you're going to get one of two things. You're going to get honesty or you're going to get people are going to kind of hedge and well, you know, to make, to and worry about people's feelings. So they're going to be like, well, yeah, we, you, you did it pretty good and, and all that. So I don't think you'll see very many fours, right? I don't think you'll see very many pours, but you, you might get more middle line ones as opposed to ones. I, I don't know. That's an interesting thought having everybody, um, rate each other. I, I, I think that's you as the DM shirking your responsibilities, Mr. Norton. I kid, I kid. Uh, it, that, that's definitely a way to do it. And, and it takes the, the icky feeling away from the dungeon master from feeling that he's giving people performance evaluations. So there, there is that. And, you know, that's valid because not everybody likes performance evaluations as we heard at the beginning of the podcast. But Daniel had some more thoughts on this. So let's go back to Daniel. I think I already called in about this, but I was thinking about it more. And because I remember having a conversation with Andy about um, level leveled systems, you know, like having levels don't make sense because skill systems make way more sense because you only gain a skill when you use it. And maybe the AD&D training thing ties into that. Maybe they were looking at other systems where, oh, hold on, the thieves only gain abilities when they use their pick locks. So how do we justify that they just get it from getting gold, right? If you want to try to justify it, I guess. And I feel like AD&D is trying to justify everything, but that's a whole other conversation. So I wonder if that's really where the training came in. It's like, okay, you're a thief, but you didn't use any of your thief skills, so it's going to take you four weeks to train instead of one week because you didn't use your skills. And that's where it comes from. I think by calling it ratings and even having the letters, although they're not really the letters we use in school, but it kind of like, you know, oh, I got an A in being a thief. It makes you feel a little bit like you're judging people, which, again, I don't know. These days I'm not really a fan of. Daniel, that's an interesting theory, and and it may be true. I don't know. I ordered – so Alarms and Excursions by Lee Gold is one of the first – maybe not the first, but it's an early fanzine that's – you know, got a super long history and you can get, and you can still get copies of it, the earliest issues, which is great. I ordered up from the beginning up to 1985. I haven't got them yet because I, I wanted them on a disc that they're mailing out from. Anyway, point being, I can't research this, but we know that, that a lot of these guys did send letters into Alarms Excursions. So the answer might be in there how much the skill systems were talked about prior to the publication of the DMG. I do know that when we talk about skill systems, we think of Call of Cthulhu, we think of um, you know basic role-playing, which originated with RuneQuest. RuneQuest was first published in 1978. The DMG came out in 1979, but we know it was a work in progress. So I don't know how much Gary was influenced by that. Again, researching through the letter sections in Alarms Excursion might help with that. So I won't say that he wasn't influenced by it, but I, 
I, I don't know that he was. I, I kind of think he probably wasn't, but that's just a gut feeling. And once I get my copies of all those old newsletters, I'll be able to go through them and look. And I'm sure that'll be a long process. But if, but if I find evidence, you know, to support your theory, or if anybody else has evidence to support theory, you know, I I'll definitely play it. Because um, we we know all these guys did pay attention to each other, and they they sent letters in, and they you know looked at what each other were doing. So so it is definitely a possibility. But but I kind of think this was Gary's own thing. In the end, as a manager, I know I don't enjoy giving performance evaluations. They're pain in the butt, and they're never fun, as other people mentioned. Honestly, even though it is, in my own words, shirking my responsibility as a dungeon master, my strong preference is to do it the way Minion does it, and just have the pl- just give everybody a one. You still make them train, you still make them pay to train, but they would just train the number of weeks equal to the new level. That is my preference. That's not necessarily the right answer, but, you know, that's how I like to do it. I do think if there's a problem, though, as MW said, you don't wait until it's time to level up before that's brought up to the player. It should be an ongoing discussion. If a player's not, you know, doing their job as the fighter or as the wizard or whatever during the game, then that's a discussion you need to have as a group, and or you you is the DM with a player or with is the whole group, and I think that's an ongoing discussion. But as far as actually using these performance ratings and applying the numbers, honestly, I don't do it. Because I think in our adult groups and with the sensitive people out there, it can cause hate and discontent, and it's just not worth the effort. Um, But that's me, because I'm not really big into confrontation in my hobbies, if I can help it. Except where, of course, Joe Richter comes in. I want to thank all my callers. Thank you so much for your input. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, even though today we used a clip of Michael from The Office. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the great music. Of course, I want to thank all my listeners. You're the reason I make this show. And I look forward to making many more for you. I hope. Knock on wood. So, with that, I'm going to wrap the episode up. Don't forget to get me those Christmas... Or Christmas. Don't forget to get... Um, I've been arguing with Joe over Christmas movies on the Audio Dungeon Discord. That's why Christmas is on my brain. Don't forget to get me your February contest entries in, and I will talk to you guys this weekend. Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to see him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold.
future is a dustbin and your moral is by a tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.